What I'd like to uh, look at is the parsha of Shvitat uh, Ksafim. There is such a halacha. This is the Shemitah year, and the end of the Shemitah year is the time I mean, determined by Chazal. I'm not sure whether it was the beginning of the seventh year or the end of the seventh year, but they decided, generally, we've decided that Shemitat Ksafim, the time for Shemitat Ksafim, is. Um, at the end of the year. Now, it's important to remember people uh, know a little bit about prusbul, right? You remember that word, prusbul, which sort of, uh, um, you know, gives us reason to think that you could just fix anything. You, could, you know, if something is really annoying, you could just fix it. But you have to understand that the way we understand, the way Chachamim apparently understood prusbul, was that they were capitalizing on something that pre-existed the crucible, which would always work. And that was that if you, if somebody owed you money, if somebody owed you money and the seventh year, or the end of the seventh year was approaching, and what was going to happen is that that debt would become, would go up in smoke, it would disappear. So I had this star. I had this uh, writ that said that so-and-so owed me money, but the end of the seventh year was coming. Then what I could do, if it was very important for me to get that money, what I could do is give the debt to the baked in. i just give it to them, you know, as a present. Here's the debt, right? You know, you could sell debt. Debt has value. I can mm-hmm. give the, the debt to the baked in. And then the Beit Din is not covered by this prohibition, which says that the debt disappears. So this was, as far as the Chachamim understood, the way we are given this information in the Gemara, is that this, always, this was always true. Now what they did was, what the Chachamim did with the crucible was they universalized it. They said everybody can do it. Everybody should do it. Everybody will this way everything will be stabilized because there was a problem that the Gemara records and that is that people didn't want to lend money they didn't want to lend money because they weren't going to get it back so okay there's staka that's staka, that's money I can feel that I have the economic wherewithal to give but beyond staka I can't just lend people money and uh, never get it back that would be a little difficult for me, right? A little difficult for me. So what the Chachabim said was, we want you to lend the money. Now this they didn't say, but you could say because money is the driving force of the economic system. If somebody has money, he can do better, produce more, uh, make a better kind of world for everybody to live in. So it's important that people should lend money. The way that Chachamim ensured that you would lend money was they capitalized on this pre-existing leniency, right? And they said, everybody could do it. And the way it turned out in the halacha, the way everybody could do it is, you just you don't, you don't even have to give it over to the Beitim. You don't even have to... It's enough. And you see, in, if you, in shuls, Soon, there are going to be piles of these prosbol forms 
on the table. You just sign the form, and I mean, I know that there are a lot of people who don't have outstanding debts. You know, like nobody owes them any money. Uh, you have to talk about a real debt, like a debt to the bank. Or, so the bank is not a problem because the bank is not a person. The bank is a bank, and uh, this only applies between people, right? Ruben gave money to Shimon, so you have you have the issue. Now, all of this, all of this goes back to an idealistic picture that we have in the, um, uh, an idealistic picture that we have in the Chumash. So we look at the Chumash. Right, you look at the Chumash. It says, Mikeit Sheva Shanim Tasesh means at the end of seven years, right? At the end of seven years, which is very similar sounds very much like Shemitat Karkaot, right, which is something else. Something else, right? We know that on Shemitah there's a, like now we have Shemitah, so if you live in Yerushalayim, you live in Yerushalayim or B'nai Brak, the rest of Eretz Israel is a little different. But if you live in Yerushalayim or B'nai Brak, you're very well aware of the fact that there's such a thing as Shemitah, right? It exists. And that you choose not you choose, but uh, you have different options on how to deal with that problem if you admit that it's a problem. Right? All the way on one end is the heter mechira. They're just saying this to remind ourselves. Right? You know, heter mechira is based on the assumption that if the land belongs to a non-Jew, that the shemitah of the vegetables doesn't apply. Right? That's that's the Heter Mechira. Heter Mechira at a certain time in Jewish history was seen as a solution because it was assumed that without agriculture you really couldn't live. And if the people who did agriculture couldn't live, that was equal to the death of ag- agriculture. Today, everything is different. You know, agriculture is more or less... Uh, defunct in Israel. I know Dr. Schroeder will disagree about something now, but more or less it's, it's dead. Right? There are still people who do agriculture because they make money, but not because they feel that it's necessary in order to protect the state of, the state of Israel. At least I haven't met any of these people, if they exist. I haven't met them recently. So there's the, what's called the Heter Mechira. Hetemichira means you saw that the Hetemichira came under some sort of, uh, even though it was it was uh, uh, created by the most reputable halachic authorities that the Jewish people had, right? They were the the great men of their age, Rabbi Yisrael Kodan, Rabbi uh, Yisrael Schreiber. Uh, they, they were they were really uh, great poskim. Uh, even though today some people try to make it out as though it was it was done as a uh, college term paper or something, but that's not the case. Hater Mechira was very, very well established and then defended at a much later date by Rav Kook. It's not true that Rav Kook invented the Hater Mechira. He didn't invent it at all. But he wrote a book in which he made a very close analysis of the of the Rambam. And in that book he comes out in favor of the Heter Mechira, which was 
something that somebody else invented, right? Not even the Rabbi Yisrael Fadim, but even before Rabbi Yisrael Fadim. This, this was discussed. You know, if a non-Jew buys <coughs> land from a Jew in Eretz Israel, what is the status of that land? Now, since the time of the Beit Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo, right? Remember Rabbi Yosef Karo? 16th century. Great, uh, a brilliant, great jurist. So Rabbi Yosef Karo and a contemporary of his, the Mabit, Rabbi Shai Detrani, had a machloket about our time. What happens in our time? Does the heter, uh, does Shemitah uh, uh, apply, Midrabonah, or not? So Rabbi Yosef Karo was the one who said Shemitah applies, but not if it's owned by a non-Jew. If the land of Israel is owned by a non-Jew, it does not apply. Now, from his time until today, the Eidah Haredit, which who represents, to my mind, the people who lived here from the 16th century to the 20th century. You have to remember, in the 16th century, nobody wore kippahs through God. Right? Uh, that was like a later invention. So these Jews... Always, the Jews of Yerushalayim always, always on Shemitah ate fruits and vegetables that were grown by Arabs, who, to the best of our recollection, were non-Jews. Right? And the shuk in Me'ashaarim, since you're in Yerushalayim, you might know that there is a shuk in Me'ashaarim today, still today. No? Yes. You never saw it? did see it. Good. So if you go to the Shuk in Me'a Sha'arim, the Shuk in Me'a Sha'arim used to be run by Arabs. Only Arabs. They grew the stuff, and then they brought, it was like a real Shuk. Like you brought in stuff, you sat down on the floor, and you, you sold it. And when you finished selling it, you went home. That was like, that was a Shuk. Not what we call the Shuk today, which is like, like uh, a place where they divided the spoils, you know, between whoever happened to be around. Everybody got a, a desk or a table or a store, and, and all that is worth, all that is permanent. Not that kind of a shuk. It was a kind of a shuk where people came with their wares. They sat on the ground and they sold it and they went home. But the shuk was a place, an area, a place. It was a, it was a very big shuk in those days in Beersheba because everybody from the south came to Beersheba to sell their wares. And everybody from around here came to Yerushalayim. This other way. So Shemitah was never a problem because the Jewish children did not do agriculture. So from the 16th century until the 20th century, or the 19th, and the 19th century, there was never a problem with Shemitah because everybody just bought whatever the Arabs sold in the in the store, but then, you know, history changed, and uh, the Chazanish came along, and the Chazanish thought that that was uh, foolhardy, and that uh, the fruits and vegetables are uh, really um, uh, have what we call Kedushat eat. It's as though they were grown in, um, in, in a Jewish uh, field. So the Jews, you know, the Jewish field, so we have to eat them in a certain way, buy them in a certain way. And since in today, in modernity, in our times, people are just plotting to be nudniked. You know, everybody wants a little edge, right, a little nudniky edge. I do it this way, I do it that way. So a lot of people took to it. And every Shemitah, since I've been here, 
like the seventh Shemitah, right? Yeah. 50 years, make seven <laughs> Shemitahs. So like seven Shemitahs, every year, every year it gets a little more exciting, you know, and more interesting. And today, if you follow the d- dictate of the Badats, the Eidah Haredit, you know the Eidah Haredit, they really look religious. You know, they're like... But if you follow them in the Shemitah deal, there are a lot of people who think you're not the Seder. You're not really the Seder. So, Shemitah, but Shemitah today, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference because Israel, the state of Israel, eats non-Jewish fruits and vegetables all the time. You know, all seven years. We don't grow enough. So we have to buy stuff from Jordan or we buy stuff from Egypt. And that's what we eat, like it or not. The difference between Shemitah and the other six years is that on Shemitah year, Tnuva sends the Jordanian apples, or whatever they make in Jordan, carrots, right? The Jordanian carrots to Yushalayim and Bnei Brak. Whereas the other six years, they don't care. Just like all mixed up. They, uh, uh, it doesn't matter who gets the Jordanian carrots and who gets some other kind of carrots. So it's really, there's no economic distinction anymore between Shemitah and any other year. And the very few number of farmers that keep Shemitah, right, because they're, first of all, they're very few farmers. And there are very few farmers who grow anything. There are very few farmers who keep Shemitah. So they get paid off. You understand? Which is certainly not the ideal that the Torah sets forth, and that's what I meant to say, that the Torah says, the Torah says that keeping Shemitah should be an act of faith. You're doing something crazy, right? You're doing something crazy. You're basically not going to be able to eat homegrown vegetables, fruits for three years. And you have to depend that the, that the yield of year six is going to be so great that it'll carry you through to, to year, year eight. And that's an act of faith demanded in the Torah. And that act of faith is clearly demanded in the Torah. The Torah says, what will happen if you ask, well, what am I going to eat during this week the year? Have faith? Have faith. So we are not any longer in the have faith uh, uh, category. We're much more in the category of let's annoy each other. And that's what Shemitah became. Shemitah became a way of annoying each other. Yes. Did you raise your hand? I did. Was I it an indication? Also, well, since I've gotten to Israel a long time. And I have, over the years, I feel like my own uh, personal observance of it has changed each time. First, you know, doing Ota Bedin, and then hearing the Hetanakura really was so much more preferable on a psychological and... I didn't say it was preferable. No, 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 not for me. I'm just saying, you know, each time there's all these different takes on it. But I've come to the conclusion that keeping Shemitah, the way the Torah says, like really by not doing any planting, it's not just an act of faith, but it's an act of like some Pimalamis. And I wonder why the Torah allowed it, why did the Rabbinim allow it to stand? They didn't say, you know, I'm Tachet, I'm, that didn't stand. They said, no, no, it means money. We don't really mean a night. But how come the Shemitah, when people die, people would die if they did that. If, okay, a few people had enough from the sixth year, maybe they made it through. But mostly people died. What's, what's your name? Elise. Elise? 
At least, would you mind if I continue with yes, my shear instead of your shear? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I realize that you're taken up with this. So anyway, when it comes to Shemitat Ksafin, what we spoke about at the beginning, it's also called Shemitah. And the first question that Rashi asks is, Yechol Sheva Shanim Vekol Melvel Milva. How do we count the seven years of the debt? I lend you money. And so the seven years somehow have to be enforced. So how do I count them? Do I count them from the day that I lent you the money? That's called Milva Milva. Talmud Lomar. So you see further on, further on in Pasuk uh, uh, Tet, it says, Kirvashnat Hasheba. Means, uh, according to Rashi, that means the regular Shemitah. When the regular Shemitah, which is Shemitah Karkaot, so when Shemitah Karkaot comes along, that's when you have Shemitah Ksafin. That's what, that's what Rashi says. He says, "V'im atav me sheva shenim lekol milva umilva laavot kol echad veechad." If you say that you have to wait seven years after each individual loan, heyachi karva. So, what could the pasuk possibly be referring to when it says we're coming close to the seventh year? What do you mean? What seventh year? We're coming close to everybody. We have their own seventh year uh, to deal with. Heyachi karva ha lamadita. Sheva Shanim Liminyana Shemitah. So that's what Rashi says. Rashi says that the word Shemitah is used very precisely. And the word Shemitah means when the Shemitah comes. Which Shemitah? Shemitah Karkaot. So the same time that you have Shemitah Karkaot, you have Shemitah Kesafim. And it doesn't matter how long the loan, the loan was. So that if you lend somebody money the day after Shemitah ends, you have the best chance of getting it back because you have another seven years to the next one. But if you lend somebody money, you know, very close to the Shemitah year, you have less chance of getting your money back. Now the second pasuk says, Zedvara Shemitah, Shamot kol baal ma'sheya doa sheya sheverei eu, lo yigosedrei eu vedachiv kikara Shemitah lashem. So he says, this is what happens on Shemitah. Shamot, which means to kind of put it down, rest. Everybody who has some kind of claim against his fellow, he should not uh, uh, oppress his fellow, because it is after all, God's Shemitah. You look at Rashi. Shemot kol baal masheyado. Shemot et yado shall kol baal masheyado. In other words, your, your, his hand, which is reaching out to get his money back, sort of like it's stopped in midair, and he's not going to be able, he's not going to be able to collect. The next pasuk, pasuk gimu. Et anachri tigos, vasheyelcha atachicha tishmat yadero. Okay. This applies to Jews, but not to non-Jews. To non-Jews, I'm allowed to collect the debt even after 
uh, uh, after Shemitah, but my fellow, I can't collect that. I can't like, uh, collect that money. Uh, Rashi says, Eta Nachriti goes, Zo Mitzvat Aseh. Zo Mitzvat Aseh. So Rashi is really talking about the language here. When he says, Eta Nachriti goes, it's like it could mean, like, sort of like a parenthetic statement or something that is said in parentheses. Eta Nachriti goes. Like, you want to have something to do with your money? You want to have some way to make it? Eta Nachriti goes. Rashi says, that it's a mitzvah say, which it is, listed as the mitzvah say. The question is, of course, what does that mean? What do you mean it's a mitzvah say? It could mean that the Torah is not against us making money. The Torah is against us uh, depreciating the value of our fellow Jews. That this is not a statement about against business. But it's a statement about how to do it. How do you make money? Well, you make money in general, but there's a difference between the community in which you live and the community which has nothing to do with you. Right? There's some kind of a difference. So, again, uh, Rashi, uh, the, the Pasuk says, Pasuk Dal. Uh, there's a very kind of uh, important Pasuk which is mentioned in the context of all of this, right? I don't, I can't really lend money profitably to a Jew, but I can do it to a non-Jew, and I can't collect from the Jew, but I can't collect from the non-Jew. And then along comes this marvelous pasuk. Ephes, kilo yebecha evyom. Ephes. Ephes? No, it's like a funny word. Ephes means something. It's like an interjection of some sort. It doesn't mean zero. It means, hey, or something like that. It, it's like a call to attention. The Pasuk says, Kilo This is all in order that there should not be Becha Evyom. Now, who is the Evyom that we're talking about? The Evyom that we're talking about, and think about Yosef in Mitzrayim. Right? The Evyom that we're talking about is the guy who borrowed money. And the guy who borrowed money can't pay it back. Since he can't pay it back, you, the lender, you have the right to go into his house, or you go to the bank did, and they'll take you to his house, and you'll, you know what they call that? Hotza'ala uh, po'a. Right, I love those guys. Hotza'ala po'a. They just, they work from, they'll take your stuff from 9 to 12 in the morning. You know, like, it doesn't matter where you are. They'll just go and take it. So, so that's an evyo. An evyon is not an evyon until you collect the debt. That's what makes him into an evyon. I mean, whatever the word evyon really means, you know, in the in its origin. But we know it, it means to us an impoverished person, a person who can't get out of it, a person who is not not Donald Trump. He got out of it, but there are people who can't get out of it. You lend them the money. And then they have to pay. They can't pay. They're finished. They're finished. The lies are over. That's, that's an evyom. So the pasuk says, Lo yebecha evyom. But it doesn't mean lo yebecha evyom. It means there should not be an evyom of your creation. Can you imagine? Like a Jew creating an evyom. 
There's not even a general statement. If God didn't want there to be a Nevyon in the world, so there would be a Nevyon in the, ro- in the, in the world. Mistom. Right? I mean, uh, I imagine. I imagine. But Evyon of your creation, you're going to create an Evyon? That cannot be. So you see, Barech Yevarechich, Aki, you're not going to lose out, it's not quite explicit as Shemitat Karkaot, but you're not going to lose out, because by not collecting the debt, Rashi says, Zo Mitzvat Aseh. You're actually doing a you're actually doing a mitzvah by not creating an evyon. You're doing a mitzvah, so that that if if we were like learning chatzidut, even before we look at the svatavet, if we were learning chatzidut, so we'd say, look, what's the question? The question is, do you ever hear of an evyon, a turtle, who was an evyon? You have a porpoise who was an avion, an elephant who was an avion. It was in the world that is created. There's, there's order. There's some sort of order. The animals can live. Yes, sometimes they kill each other, but that's also part of the order of things. Uh, before man came along and messed everything up. Right? I'm not talking about that. But if you imagine, you can just imagine a world in which the animals all know their place and what they're supposed to do and what they're supposed to accomplish, you would not look upon them, any of these animals, as evionim, unless they're maybe in a zoo or something. But, but they're not evionim. Evion is a counter-indicated position. One would think that everybody's born the same. Everybody has certain talents. Everybody can go do whatever they're supposed to do. Everybody wants to live the way they're supposed to live. Whether you're a socialist or you're not a socialist, it doesn't make any difference, but that's a kind of a world that you could imagine. Where everybody does what they can do and everybody lives in the way that they should live and that's the way God wanted it to be. If God created the man and woman in this world, you were created in order to be able to do whatever they're supposed to do in this world. So if you think man slash woman is supposed to keep the world going, they're supposed to procreate, they're supposed to have children, they're supposed to... Okay, so that's what they're supposed to do. But they're not supposed to be evionim. Evionim is very bad. It's not, it's almost not created. So here, God says that this parashah, the way I explain it, you have to like my explanation until the end of the Shia minimally. He says, he says, the way I explained it is that Evyon is counterindicated to creation. You can't have an Evyon. And since you can't have an Evyon, it's certainly clear that you can't create an Evyon. You can't make an Evyon. You can't, you can't uh, demoralize the world in that way. So Rashi says, Lo you see the Rashi? Pasuk Dalit. In the Pasuk Yudalif it says, Kilo Yechtal Evyon. Kilo Yechtal Evyon. You see Yudalif? That's the good Yudalif. Kilo Yechtal Evyon Bikerva Aretz. Al Kaida Dochibit Zabchale Mo. Patoch Tiftachet Yetchala Chichala Yechala Vyonchabaratzech. So there's a problem. It's like, it's like first the Torah says, 
cancel the debt so that there won't be an Evyon. And then the Pasuk says, Lo Yechdal Evyon. Lo Yechdal Evyon doesn't mean that you know, it, will, it will not cease. There will not cease to be an Evyon. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't try. I mean, just because you won't be ultimately successful 100% doesn't mean that you shouldn't try. So, I mean, but Rashi looks upon this as being contradictory. That the first Pasuk says, don't make an Evyon. And the last pasuk says lo yechdalev yon. So how does Rashi how does Rashi deal with that? Rashi says la lado omer ki lo yechdalev yon. Ela bizman shatem osim ritzono shel makom evyonim b'acherim velo b'chem ukeshein atem osim ritzono shel makom evyonim b'chem evyon dal me ani evyon is even worse than a poor person. Evyon means that he desires everything. He doesn't got anything at all. But what's Rashi's answer? What is a hack of what Pasuk says, don't make an Evyon. And the other Pasuk says, Lo So Rashi uses a ploy that the Chachamim often use in explaining, in explaining contradictory pieces of information. And they say, well, they're not talking about the same situation. When is it shelo yechdal evyon? When there's something wrong with your general behavior before God. This is called bizman shetem she'ena temosim ritzolo shabakol evyonim b'chem. When you don't do what God wants you to do, then even the people of the Jews become evyonim. When you do be do what God wants you to do, then the only evyonim that exist are outside of the context of the of the Jew, Jewish people. So Rashi, by by quoting this Chazal, maintains the idea that at least within our community, there can be some perfection achieved, and we can overcome we can overcome poverty. No. Poverty is a topic. I won't go into it now, but you know, people like to talk about poverty. Okay, so we're up to Pasuk Hey, right? Pasuk Hey. Rakim Shamot Ishma Bikol Hashem Alokechel Ishmol Asod Kolem Mitzvah Azod Azhar Tzav Mitzavcha Yom. Right? Ki Hashem Alokechel Berachicha Kasher Debelech. So everything will be great if you do what God wants you to do, if you wipe out poverty in this way, if you don't make demands of the debt on the on the seventh year, everything will be great, right? That's what that's what uh, okay. Now let's go to Pasuk Zion, I'm sorry. We could do these psukim also, but it's not enough time. If there is an evyon, we're talking about a situation where people do what they're supposed to do, and they are uh, um, they are comfortable with not with letting the the, the debt lapse. And not destroying the other people, but nevertheless, there could be a situation. There is an evyon. So he's talking about. He's talking about 
Am Yisrael. He's talking about Eretz Yisrael. And he's talking about this odd situation where the people are generally following what the Torah wants. And yet we've discovered an Evyon in our midst. Like, you know, what do we do? What do we do? So there's a special mitzvah. Lot Amit. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, here is Lot Amit Levavcha. Even in such a case, even in such a case where you've done the right thing and you do what you're supposed to do, but there, there's an evyon. So he has to also be given preferential treatment. Any single evyon, not the idea of an evyon, not the global idea of evyonim, which is solved to a certain extent by the fact that the debts are canceled, that people can go on living, that whatever they've invested in, they can hope to produce some money thereof. But after all of that, that there is an Evion, you can't uh, harden your heart, you can't uh, make a fist, right, uh, in face of Achicha Evion. Ki patoach lo, you open your hand to him, and you have to give him what he needs. You see Pasuktet? Right? See, Shamer Lecha are the words that introduce Allah, a negative commandment in the, in the list of commandments, right? There, there are words that introduce positive commandments, but there are also certain words like Ishamer. The word Ishamer introduces a negative commandment. <laughs> Love. Do that under any circumstances. Like you, you go wild. You know, your, your heart is totally in the wrong place. The seventh year is coming, seven Shemit, seven, the year of Shemitah. And you don't like the poor guy who is your neighbor and you won't lend money to him you say it's almost not Shemitah I'm never going to get it back and the, the Pesach says he will turn to God this Evyon and tell God how he is being treated then not only is there a love not only is there a negative Statement of what you're not allowed to do. Pasuk Yud says that In fact, give him the money that he needs. And don't feel badly, wickedly, evil when you give it to him. Don't feel like you're being forced to do it. That the Torah is forcing you to do something that you don't want to. That you don't want to do. You should know that you will be blessed by God. Even if you follow the laws of Shemitah perfectly and you don't collect the debt and if on the close of the seventh year there's an Evyon you give him money even though you know you're never going to get it back. Promise by God. 
that there will never be an end to this idea of the Evyon Mikerev Haaretz, right? And therefore, there is again this positive commandment. It, it was, it's, not, it's not like you could come and say, look, I did it for a couple of times, but it didn't work. The poor people are still poor. The rich people are getting richer. So what's the point of all of this? But the Pasuk says, it says clearly, the Pasuk says clearly, and I think it's hard to, hard to avoid that he lo yechdal evyon mekerev ha'aretz alkein anochi mitzavcha a separate sivui that even the individual who is impoverished has to be dealt with in a special in a special way so you could say you could say that the Torah the Torah is very uh, uh, determined to get us involved with stamping out poverty and the Torah says the fact that we're not successful, like a hundred percent, without a hundred percent successful, that is no reason for us to stop trying. There's no reason to stop trying. And the Torah says it in as clear a way as I think you might imagine. You might imagine, even though we've interspersed a little of the understanding of Chazal through Rashi, there is no doubt about what the Torah had in mind. I mean, even though uh, I don't know how it would work in terms of understanding the modern modern uh, economics, but somehow the Torah the Torah feels that there is value to trying to stamp out the evyon, right? In the simplest way, I mean, we always lose out. Everybody loses out if there are poor people who don't want disadvantaged because they or their children or their grandchildren might save the world, right? So you have always this this problem, we don't really know who is going to save the world, whether only the rich kids are going to save the world or maybe the poor kids might save the world so we don't want to take a chance so now look, look at it, just a little more information, a little information here, you see the Mishnah, Masechet Shviit very good, it says this, Bruce book Bruce book what's a Bruce book? It's the document that says that you're passing the debts over to the Beit Din so that you should be able to collect the debt even after Rosh Hashanah of the year, right? In other words, the end of this period is this Rosh Hashanah that is coming. I want to collect the debt even after Rosh Hashanah. I write a book. A book, a no mishamet. Prusbul, a no mishame. You know, if you have a prusbul, the debt continues to exist. It does not disappear. Zechad min advarim sheitkin hilal hazakein. Hilal hazakein was like the legendary Tana. Now he's the first one. Right? Hilal hazakein. And this was one of the takanot that he made. So what was his takana? What was his takana? Well, I told you at the beginning to take advantage of an existing loophole. I mean, even though that sounds bad, to take an advantage of an existing halacha. What was the existing halacha? That if I gave my shtar, my debt, uh, to the Beit Din, then Shemitah doesn't apply. Shemitah only applies to debts between people. doesn't apply between debts and the government. 
right? Individuals of the government, individuals in the Beit Din. So if I would have given my debt over to the Beit Din, then that debt would continue to exist, and the Beit Din, if it wanted to, could collect that money on my behalf. Sort of like a way around it, but it, it's not the provable that's a way around it. The provable is just the formalizing of a previous situation, right? So that's the provable. It says in the Torah, it says in the Torah, lend the money. Don't, uh, don't stand back. When you see somebody needs money, lend the money. Ah, oh, you're not going to get it back. Okay, you're not going to get it back. Too bad. So when Hillel as a king saw that people were not lending money to each other, they would deny what it says in the Torah. Remember, Yishomelech has a laugh. Now, we don't have in the Mishnah super segmental qualities. You know, like you, when you read a play, you read a play, so it says in the parentheses, corpse, right? Then three lines, then it says, goes hysterical. Those are called supra-segmental qualities. It's speech, right? When you speak somebody, you raise your voice, you lower your voice. That's, these are supra-segmental, but they're part of meaning. They're part of meaning. Now in the Mishnah, in the Chumash, we don't have that. We don't know what Hillel was doing. I mean, he may have been going crazy. He may have been banging his head against the wall that he had to do such a thing. And we don't know how terrible the situation was in Eretz Israel at that time. It would be helpful to us. It would be helpful to us to know whether, you know, uh, Hillel becomes the new benchmark for the Torah observance. Or we should try to get rid of it if we can and try to live up to the Torah, to the Torah uh, level. Next. Zeu Gufoshel Prozbo. Moseadi Lechem Ishploni Uploni Adayanim. This is what the Prozbo really is. Right? Changed a little bit, but that's the idea. The idea is that the Beit Din joins me, becomes a partner in this, in this, uh, in this matter. Uh, one second. Here, there's one more Mishnah that I that I did not put on the sheet. Could the bank be refused to take it after after Hillel? What could the bank say? You're such an evil person. We're going to take your. They could do that before the takon of the prosbul, but the takon of the prosbul actually put everything in the hands of the lender. He made the determination. It was just an official. Uh, it was, they couldn't say no. But, but there are certain limits. For example, the Mishnah says you could only write a provable if the person who lent the money owns karka, owns land. Uh, just a second. Uh, because, uh, what, what does owning land have to do with anything? Uh, in, in other words, if a guy owns land, if I lend you a hundred dollars and you owe you own land, 
So there's an automatic lien on that land. Like, forget about Shemitah, but if you don't pay me back, I'm going to get my money out of the land you owe me. The borrower has land. The borrower, of course, the borrower. Again, I lend you $100. You have land. So automatically, that land is sort of backing up the loan, even if you didn't state it clearly. So that if you don't pay me back, I'm going to be able to just go to your land and take that money. Take the money you owe me. So it's as though you paid me already. In other words, when you borrowed the money, you actually paid me at the same time. That's the way the, the Chachamim looked at it. So if you already paid me, so it's, it's, it's automatically excluded from the Shemitah prohibitions. Because you paid me already. All I did, I haven't yet collected. But you've paid me with the land that you owe me. So that's a further leniency that the Chachamim understood when it came to these halachot. And it wasn't a pro- that wasn't a problem for them. So the Evyon was landless. The Evyon was what? Landless. Yeah, well, no, 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 but he became an Evyon when he had to pay back. But if he had land, if, I mean, he could have sold the land in the interim. It doesn't matter. You know, then because it's just more complicated. You know, how do you get the land back? How do you get the payment back? But they weren't all like that. They didn't all have land. But I want to just read one Mishnah. One Mishnah, and we're almost finished. Almost finished. This is the last Mishnah in Hilchot Shvi'it, right? The last Mishnah. Perik Yud Mishnah that one line. What does it say? Amachzir Chol B'Shviit Ruach Chachamim Nocha Mimenu. Again, if you return the debt, right? You wrote a prusbul, you gave it to the baked in, you're in the clear, right? You're in the clear. I'm, I'm sorry. Do it again. I lent you money, right? So I write a prusbul. I give it to the Beit Din, right? And the uh, uh, the debt is continued. And the debt is continued. The local Chachamim, and they say, Amachzir Chol B'Shvi'it. Amachzir Chol B'Shvi'it. In other words... Somebody didn't write a principle. And the other guy doesn't, doesn't have to pay back. And the Mishnah says, In other words, they discovered that you could take advantage of it. That even people who could pay back could take advantage by postponing their payback until after the Shemitah year. And the Chachamim were also opposed to that. So that this whole business about Shemitah Ksafim, this business of Shemitah Ksafim, is, uh, is something very, very remarkable. Because on the one hand, sure. they cancelled it. What? What do you mean by you could postpone it till after the Shemitah year? What, what I mean? When you just said you could postpone paying back till after the Shemitah year. Oh, let's say if you did, you could have paid, you had the money, so you could have paid before the Shemitah year ended. But you didn't, because you wanted to take advantage of this loophole. 
So the Chachamim are against that as well. They're also against you. They're against you working against what the Torah says, but they're against you doing what, uh, doing something which would take advantage of what the Torah said. So it's like an interesting thing. We're here at a, a position where it's very hard to know what the right thing to do is, right? So if you look at the Svat Met, you see at the bottom of the page, Efes Kilo Yebechayv Yom. Katab Rashi, Da'adachtiv Kilo Yechdalav Yom, Kishabinei Yisrael, Osim Ritzono Shalbokom Evyonim, Vacherim Belobachem. In Chorah, he says, he quotes Rashi, right? That when you do the right thing, so the Evyonim will be other people. Other people will be Evyonim, but not you. Lechorah Kasheh, so where they get this idea that the psukim are talking about evyonim in the non-Jewish world? All the psukim are talking about Jews. They're talking about things that are happening between between the Jews. So where did the chachamim? devise this idea that this pasuk is talking about what happens if you uh, with the non-Jew with the non-Jewish world question conclusion right he, he thought about it that even if he says if the people of Israel will do this mitzvah faithfully then certainly in heaven uh, God will open up the gates and, and we will be and we will be blessed and we will not have an evyon that's why it says give and open up your hand because if we open our hands to give tzedakah that God also opens up his hand so to speak and gives us and, and satisfies us in other words, lo yechdal is not that the system won't work and you won't be able to get rid of all of the evyonim, but rather God is going to do you a favor. It'll always have an evyon that you can do this to, and therefore, by implication, get even more more bracha. If I had to think about, well, I did think about what the Svatamet said. What I would add is this: if you say poverty. If you say poverty, evyonim, as we talked about, we spoke about the animals before. If you say that poverty is is somehow contraindicated by God's creation in the world, that poverty is an aberration, not a genetic aberration, but a human aberration. Like like human beings are using economics to kill each other. And that's what the Torah didn't want us to do. So how does the Torah say it? How does the Torah say it? The Torah says, if you want to join with God in creating the world that should be, not a better world, the world that should be, you have the opportunity 
through tzedakah. That's what tzedakah is. Tzedakah is the recreating of an aberration. It's something that should never have happened. And it's just an opportunity. So, Kilo Yechdal Evyom Vekerevaaris, that will never cease to be an impoverished person in the land, doesn't mean, doesn't mean that it's hopeless, that the situation is hopeless. It means rather that God enables us to achieve something quite remarkable and return the world to the way it should be. A world in which everybody can somehow get along and, and be part of, uh, uh, be, be part of the miracle of, of creation. And so, uh, uh, I think, I think that it is, um, difficult. It's difficult for us to say anything else. And that's why the Chachamim also, they, on the one hand, they created Jerusalem because they saw that people didn't have the ability to give of themselves and their property to ensure that everybody else would not be an evyo. On the other hand, on the other hand, if you didn't have a crucible, if there was no crucible, the Torah said, uh, return the debt and you are not impoverished, you are not an evyo, you, are, you had a lot of money, then the Chachamim said, you could do it, you could return the debt and that would be a great thing for you to do. So it works both ways, not taking the, the money, that's great for the, for the creation that, of the world, the creation, God's creation. And on the other hand, if you have the opportunity to pay the debt, even though Shemitah has passed, that would cause a certain kind of creation of the world. And the Chachamim were kind of uh, felt uh, very, very sensitively that this was the proper way to do it. Okay, have a good Shabbos. It's a bit of a limit to their sensitivity. Very what? There's a bit of a limit to their sensitivity. And that's the 20 to 25,000 people who die every day. It's hard to grab onto the world. In, in other words, I think, I think it's very difficult to decide you know, who, who's responsible for the world. You know, it's like... Uh, once you get past your family, it's like hard to hard to know where your responsibility starts. And not that I'm defending it, I mean, but certainly it's terrible. I'm just saying that, that we've consistently been unable to kind of put ourselves into a situation where we would really take care of things. And stakas always seem to be about extra funds, not about essential funds. Nobody wants to lower the standard of living by giving it stakah. It seems to me, maybe there are such people. I did know, I did hear of this guy. Who, this guy was a guy who made uh, like $400 million. And he made, he put some money in the bank for his children, and then he gave all the rest of it away. What? Did Bill Gates do that? No, he didn't do that. Was that him or Buffett? No, no, it was a guy from Philadelphia who was a very interesting fellow, but uh, I don't know what happened. But I'm just saying there are very few examples that if you divide up your wealth into the essential wealth that you have and the kind of extra wealth that you have where you're trying to get away with paying taxes, uh, it's very hard to find the person to give away his essential wealth. I mean, 
I never heard of anyone except this guy. And he gave away a kidney. A kidney, $400 million, and uh, that was all the money he had. He said he didn't need it. He couldn't understand what you could do with $400 million. So it made me feel that I was wasting my time. <laughs> well, it was a great thing, but it's very hard to, to be charitable in that sense. Okay.